I was going to say, we all have a bolero jacket, don't we? Because I'm not competitive. It does the opposite to make me go faster. It makes me go really slow and have a bad day. Is it rickable is the standard measure of capability. And in this outbuilding was where he kept all his crud bungs. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to this week's Single Track World podcast. I'm Hannah. I'm feeling slightly spacey because I've got a migraine. Let's see who else is here. I'm here, Amanda. I'm feeling slightly spacey, but I'm just tired. And I'm here, I'm Chips, and I'm feeling damp because it's chucking down with rain here in southern France. And because we've ironically got a hosepipe ban, I've just been out in the rain washing the car. <laughs> and I'm here, I'm Mark, and I'm feeling a little bit sunburned. Show so, off. Yeah, you and the rest of the UK. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, today's the day when you need to get your like roadie arm warmer things out to cover up the bit of arm that was sticking out under your t-shirt that's now all burnt and then you can wear a vest and like even up some of the tan was it was it like the uh the first good day of the year where suddenly the parks are all full of sort of sunbathing lunchtime office workers kind of except it was at the weekend oh even better yeah people just outside so, oh, and if you wore a halter neck on the first day, you now need a bolero jacket to cover up all the burnt bits. How do you deal with where your glasses were? Wear a balaclava. Oh, a balaclava, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I was going to say, we all have a bolero jacket, don't we? Um, do we? <laughs> I don't. No? I do have sleeves, roadie sleeves, done mm. in, in that style that looks makes it look like you've got a tattooed full sleeve. Which I still well, think are cool. Yes. No, I think, I think, I think that's cool. what you need today to cover up the burnt mm. arms. No, my sunburn isn't on my arms because I haven't been riding a bike this weekend. My sunburn's on my forehead. Oh, yeah. you need Through a baseball cap. Wandering around Manchester, sitting outside uh, some bars on Saturday before we went to our left field gig, Ooh. which was the most middle-class rave I've ever been to in my life. 
Okay, well, while Mark was raving in Manchester, Amanda, what were you up to? I was at the Boltby Bash Enduro in Boltby. Which seems to have been where everybody has been this this weekend. Yeah, so I've never been to it before, but when the entries opened, well, prior to the entries opening, there was a group chat formed to say, you need to get on this because it'll sell out. And I thought, it's been going for years. And surely Ardrock's the only one that sells out. But no, it did sell out really quick. And we managed to get tickets. I went with the the Tuesday night group, uh, the local Hebden Bridge Ride Drink Pie group, which merged in with Chips's old riding group, the MMPR. MMPR. Pod Riders. Can you, can you yeah. explain what the event is for people who don't know? So it's a five-stage enduro race where it's about... 30 kilometres and 800 metres of ascent. So it's not crazy numbers in terms of enduros. Uh, They have a practice day and then a race day, which there are some enduros that you do blind. Um, But they have a practice day because it's, I think it's entirely on private land and the transitions are on bridleways. But basically it's all trails that you can't ride outside of the Boltby Bash, which is why it appealed to me because I don't, I'm not competitive, so racing in England, to me, just seems like I'm paying to ride my bike on things that I could ride anyway. So this one was, it's a bit like hard rocking, that it's the only time you get to ride those trails, so I thought I'll give it a go. And it was just such a fun event. The weather was perfect, and the organisation is great, yet it's got a relaxed vibe. Like sometimes if you go somewhere and it's a really relaxed atmosphere, that also means bit of disorganised chaos comes with it but it was all really well you know marshals everywhere whenever you needed to talk to an official there was an abundance of them in vests and really good signage there was water on the track which sometimes you head out for the day and you can't find any water um it's just i can't fault it really i just had such a good time and for the first time ever i actually left my timing chip on whilst doing the stages because I usually enter a race and then just, I do the practice in the race day, but I don't wear my timing chip because I don't like what it does. There's something weird to my head because I'm not competitive. It does the opposite to making me go faster. It makes me go really slow and have a bad day. So you but just I, make uh, it so I'm that wh- you haven't got a timing chip on and then the race organiser doesn't know where you are at any point and um, everyone thinks that you're home safe and you're actually lying in a heap somewhere. <laughs> Chips <Yeah>. is nodding <laughs> with his race well, organizer you know, hat on. Thinking this, I've always done the practice, and then I've taken pictures on the race day. So it's not that I've been, I've gone, I haven't gone round and got in the way of the actual races. I've just sort of paid to do half a job. But I wanted to ride it all again this time, so I put the chip on. And and, and how was it? It was great. It was uh, so the. It's not a difficult race. There's no features that are really committing. And if there are any, there's a beeline around them. But there were some things that are well within my capabilities that because they were a built feature, not naturally part of a trail, I didn't like them. So I don't like woodwork. I'll do a big, if there's a, a tabletop that's made out of dirt, I don't care how big it is, I'll try and get over it. Same with drops and steep shoots and all that but if it's made of wood or what else do they make things out 
Like if it if it's intentionally built and it's not sort of naturally part of the landscape, I tend to not like it. And there's all these at the bottom of stages three and four, big ramps in the field where you're just landing on a grassy slope. And I just didn't like the look of them. So on practice day, I just avoided avoided them um, and thought, you know, I don't need to do those. And the beeline's fine because I'm not competitive. And then something came over me in the atmosphere of all the ride drink pie group, like trying to better themselves and trying new things and, you know, asking how to do something and then just going and trying it and seeing if it goes. I thought, if they're doing that, then I probably should try. So on the race day, I did every single one of them and they all went fine. I have seen uh, photographic evidence of Rick, who wrote the Slimefoot slide and is the subject of Barney's mocking in many a classic ride. I've seen Rick flying through the air deliberately looking rad, which is quite unusual. Is this the Rick yeah. that had uh, a bloody nose at the end of it? That is the same Rick, yes. But I think just, he just... landed so, the jump. He did. So in practice, he was following Vicky down. Um, so Rick's got a select few people that he trusts, that he can follow them into something and they will stop if they really don't think he's got it. So he followed her down, didn't question it, jumped off them all uh, and got loads of confidence. And then on the race day, I don't know if he got like race rage or he was just caught up in the moment, but the biggest one of them that, I mean, having looked back at it, I think if I had looked at it, I wouldn't have jumped it. It was really big. He sort of nose dived on it and his bike went like into the next town. It flew so far. <laughs> I don't know exactly what happened, but of all the people to crash, I mean, Rick was having best weekend because he's done so many things that he never thought he'd do and now it seems like for anyone that knows him but didn't go they're just going to remember that he tried to do an enduro and he boshed his nose but really he rode everything perfectly in practice and he was just a bit excited it was rick that got me to do the jumps in the first place because i basically thought if rick can do them i should at least try (laughs) if it's rickable it's the mandorable. <laughs> that is so for for those who aren't uh, ride drink pie members listening. Who is most of you? Is it rickable? Is the standard measure of capability? You've probably got somebody else in your own ride groups that that you know. Like if they can do it, then everybody can do it. Like, but Rick has got more rad. So is it rickable? Has is a is a ever moving. It's a sliding scale. scale. There. Yeah. <laughs> But had yeah, I realised that he was going to be flying him. through the air, I'd have given him a full face to try out. <laughs> and a GoPro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, to be honest, a full face would have saved him. Um, and Bolt B isn't full face territory unless you're going to go really fast or you're going to test yourself. Although I say that and you can hurt yourself in a car park, so... Yeah. Okay, so Mark... You, just before the weekend, were up to things that were, I think, more stayed than enduro racing. But, you know, I don't know. Conferences with publishers might be. Uh, That's true. Yeah. How do I make this relevant to a mountain bike audience? It's publishing. (laughs) Publishing, yes. Yeah, I was in in Derbyshire at a hotel in the middle of nowhere, which is very nice, with a group of... um, so it was this sort of medium, small to medium-sized publishers, 
uh, independent publishers. It was very nice. It was very cathartic. We're all sort of sat there together, sort of crying on each other's shoulders about the state <laughs> of the, the publishing industry. But uh, I won't go into the details of all the stuff that we we did. I did I did a talk actually because um, we were invited to a number of us were invited to actually you know obviously speak at a conference. That's the whole point. And my talk was on um, uh, single tracks greatest mistakes. Ooh. So um, yes, because I've been to these conferences before and they're all full of people who stand up there in front of a podium and start banging on about how marvellous they are and look what we did and this is amazing. And I think there's good learnings in um, some of the greatest mistakes. Chips will remember some of these. I started off with the classic, which was to launch the magazine on the 1st of April 2001. Not only that, but in the middle of the foot and mouth crisis when nobody could actually go outside and ride a bike in the countryside. And, uh, and then moved on to classics like uh, printing 10,000 copies because it sounded like the right number. And um, with only 20 bike shops as distribution and 400 people who plumped up 12 quid, so that left us with quite a few copies. And then I think the third one was uh, pricing the magazine at £2.95, launching it at a cash-only event at the NEC and only having about, about three 5Ps in our pocket, which was uh, quite fun. And then uh, I explained to the conference what a crud bun was then, Chips. Oh, wow. Good luck with yeah. that. <laughs> I, was, I, I went into, I was gesticulating and going, this bit on your fork and there's a hole underneath and you shove it up there because, you know, sort of uh, muck gets up there and all the rest of it. But no, it was just blank sort of expressions of people not understanding what we we're talking about. Um, I presume our listeners know what a crud bung is. Shall we? They know I mean, what a fork a while, is, which is a good start they know what a compared fork to your is. audience yes. last week. And they know and, that and there the... is a hole in the bottom of your fork. That's right. And, and um, place and a crud bung into it. That's right. And all the crud bung was was a little tiny round disc with some little sort of plastic bits that stuck, you know, that sort of wedged in the crud bung. And it, um, this crud bung was, shall we say, it was invented by uh, Mr. Tompkins of crud bung fame. And before Single Track, when I was freelancing for MBUK, I went up to see him to interview him. And um, during that interview, um, he showed me an outbuilding. And in this outbuilding was where he kept all his crud bungs. And the only way I could describe it is it was like a, it was an old stables. As he opened the door, where normally a horse would go was a mountain of these little red discs. And the reason he had so many was because MBUK talked him into making this crud bung so they could stick it on a cover mount. But back then in the days of... Um, magazine distribution there was i think they probably needed about a hundred thousand to cover out the entire print run but the trouble was that the manufacturer the needed uh, the manufacturer of these crud bungs had a minimum order of something like about a million so he had uh, <laughs> he supplied um, he supplied mbk with them and then he was left with this literal almost a million of these little cr discs and i remember saying to him those look amazing i must have some and he just gave me a bin bag <laughs> he said, help yourself. So I filled up a bin bag of these things and came back to the office. Uh, and uh, Well, I came back home. I, we didn't have an office then. And um, and then they, there they sat. And then when we launched Single Track, we decided there must be something we could do with these. And we took a whole bag of them down to the NEC when we launched issue one. And thank God we did, because those became currency. So when people handed over three quid, we gave them a crud bung as their 5p change. So we actually set a value 
on to a crud bone. A crud bone, officially, is worth five pence. That's what they're worth. So if anyone's got any <laughs> stuck away in the cardboard box somewhere, um, you now know how much they're worth. So that was a story I told. I told many others as well. But um, what's interesting at dinner after the conference, people were asking, you know, these non-biking sort of publishers were, you know, we were all socialising. And uh, we got onto the topic of bikes, obviously, because you kind of would do. And I was asked, you know, oh, e-bikes, they're great, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, I've always wanted an e-bike. How? And there's lots of people saying, how much would it, how much would I need to spend to get, you know, a reasonably good e-bike, you know, a mountain bike e-bike? And we said, yeah, you're probably looking at, you're looking at about three grand, really. And uh, just the staggered faces around the table that this is how much bikes cost. And uh, I went into the whole thing of explaining why they cost that much, but it's just it's such a hard sell. And I kind of realised that, uh, yeah, there are there are cheap bikes that aren't e-bikes out there, and you can go mountain biking for 500 quid, but when you're trying to convince somebody or trying to explain to them that even a non-e-bike can go up to, like, 10, 12,000 pounds, I just realised, you know, we're in a kind of a privileged position that we generally talk to other cyclists and other mountain bikers and where the conversation is a little easier. When you're talking to sort of more typical members of the public and trying to have that conversation just found it was it was it was hard it was really hard to actually explain why bikes are priced as they are i think it's pretty hard to explain why bikes are priced as they are to lots of our readers as well actually because mm. like i so i had the experience of digging out my own personal mountain bike the other day um because i was between test bikes and so it's a nine-year-old white 901, which I when I that. bought it was quite progressive. It was rad. You know, people thought that the the head angle on it was a mistake because it was so slack. Um, and yeah, I dug it out and rode it. And there's plenty of our readers that will be riding a bike like that, that was, you know, upper end of their budget when they bought it. And they wanted it to last plenty of years. And it made the ride quite interesting um, as compared to modern bikes. So there has been a massive advance in technology in recent years. And that 1500 quid hardtail that I bought back then. Yeah, lots of people are riding around on that and thinking, why would I want to spend another two grand now on something that how much better will it be? Mm. And I think the answer is that there are aspects of it that are quite a lot better. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. did try and explain that, you know, you've got a, the law of incremental gains that when you buy a £500 bike and then compare it to a £1,000 bike, the £1,000 bike can be so much better, quite obviously better. But then if you double it again and you compare the £1,000 bike to a £2,000 bike, then yes, there will be a very noticeable difference, but it won't be of the same magnitude as that difference between a 500 and a 1,000. And, and and it carries on like that. So when you get mm. to that 10,000 level and you compare it to a 12,000 pound, sometimes I think even, even well, you know, we can't tell the difference quite often. It's just, uh, but there are those things. I did try and explain it as well by saying, imagine it's the luxury car market, you know, and it's, um, you know, the, you, yes, it's a ridiculous price for a bike, but then 100,000 pounds is also a ridiculous price for a car. And you can, but when you can buy a car for ten thousand pounds, brand new, 
you know, it, it, it's kind of like that. And But still, even though some lights went on and people started to nodding, I got the impression they were kind of still like just nodding politely and going, yeah, yeah, get it. But this is this is this is a whole nother world to, to a lot of people. My, my usual response to that is, yeah, I know you can buy a watch for that. And, you know, they, they will tell the same time as a Casio. In fact, the Casio will will tell a far better, be far more accurate than your Rolex. But it's it's one of those things. If you want the quality and you want it small and accurate and precise, which is what bikes are doing compared to, you know, if, if anyone's ever ridden a motorbike, they're really quite um, agricultural feeling, I guess, if you, you know, the... the the levers and the um, and the grips and the just all the sort of touch points are pretty kind of chunky and because they don't need to be lightweight and and precise because they're a motorbike. You're wearing big gloves. You're wearing big boots. So it, the the feel doesn't really matter. And you've got a great big motor. Whereas on a mountain bike, you've got a lot of the technology that's come from motorbikes and cars and you know all that sort of high tech stuff. But it has to be tiny and it has to be lightweight because you're um lugging it around yourself um and and that's where a lot of the the initial cost is in just making it smaller and lighter uh, with materials that that you don't get on a car because it's it's too expensive or a motorbike there aren't you know there or there are very few carbon fiber motocross components because um they're they're just too expensive because they're too massive um, whereas on a bike, it's kind of necessary because you need it, that bike to, to be at least liftable. So, Not in the case of many e-bikes. <laughs> no, you can kind of push, push it around and shove it with your knees. Um, I, um, so for those, for those people uh, listening that are wondering what no, I might have noticed about my old bike versus current modern ones... So, yes, my bike's geometry was rad when it was launched and is rad no more. But that's kind of overcomable, I think. And yes, my bike has a front derailleur, which took a minute to get used to. But again, that, you know, I feel like that's neither here nor there. Um, One thing that drove me slightly crazy was that I've still got an old plunger style dropper post lever actuator thing on, on my bike and that really makes a difference to how you can use your dropper post. Like you have to sort of get to the top of a descent and remember that there's a descent coming and put your dropper post down. You can't just do that sort of, oh, I'll just put it up and down for a couple of metres or whatever, like you would with a an under underbar lever one. Um, I, I need a new tyre. Rear tyre's bald, but, you know, that's fine. Uh, the brakes were quite exciting, but they still work. But the thing that really threw me was the fork has never been serviced. Whoops. Um, and, uh, yeah, needs some attention. And it was just so unpredictable that I kind of wish I'd, I'd wished I'd, that I'd just ridden my stooge instead, which is completely rigid. And it's, I think that having a fork where you don't know what it's going to do when it hits things is probably the most unnerving part of a badly set up bicycle and that'll be the experience of lots of people on cheap bikes like you know the cheapest ones that you get today that you don't know when you go off something whether it's going to swallow all the travel and then boing back at you suddenly or whether it's just going to slightly move an inch 
<laughs> that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, oh. those were my observations. Chips's mouth is moving, but he's he's making no noise at this point. Let's try again. So he's obviously got something important to say. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I was just going to say, I've, I've found a uh, 2013 review, uh, not by us, by Guy Kesterman, of your uh, White 901. And it says, has a seriously slack 66.5 degree head angle. <laughs> the last time we rode a hardtail with head angle this slack, the designer admitted it had been a mistake. Even we mistakenly thought it said 68.5 degrees on the website because 66.5 degrees is full-on, full-sus downhill territory. But no, there's no mistake here. White fully intends to kick out the front, uh, front wheel way out front on an already generously long frame and then let you steer it with a super-fat 70mm stem and ape-hanger 750mm bars. 70mm stem? Wow. Yes, practically and, a rudder and and that's <laughs> that's 10 years ago my how things have moved yes <laughs> so that's the bike that i've got and obviously it's had quite a lot of rest time because when i've got test bikes i'm not riding it but it's had a new bottom bracket i think a new cassette and chain and that's about it and some new tires new pads but yeah the rest of it is like as as per stock originally but it still gets you places and still let you ride off road, which is uh, the great thing about mountain bikes. Yeah, squealed just a little more excitedly than usual on some features. But yeah, did did it make the trails come alive? <laughs> uh, did, yeah, something like that. <laughs> yes, they were certain. Some of them were certainly quite exciting. <laughs> yeah. How was it in the mid-stroke? <laughs> there did, was did no you... mid-stroke. It was either down or up. <laughs> I, at, at the sort of other end of the uh, of the bicycle world, I've I've had a a friend of mine's been texting me sort of hourly for the last month, I think, about uh, bikes because he he's like, right, I'm I need to buy a mountain bike. He's come from the gravel world. He's pretty fit. He's quite tall, and uh, he's like, what, what bike shall I get? And I was like, well, you know, what's your budget? And he in one conversation he talked himself from worrying about uh getting a, a cannondale no what's the bike we've got in at the moment the purple one habit yes it? the the habit so he's talked himself from worrying about the extra cost of that to then and then going oh well maybe a specialized and then within the same conversation he's gone okay i'm ordering a santa cruz so, but you know we've all had those conversations with ourselves i'm sure 
the thing he's he's now worrying about is the travel and he lives in sort of the in south manchester the north of the peak district and he's he's going right i'm getting a <clears throat> getting a tall boy santa cruz tall boy which is like a 120 130 134 120 rear travel santa cruz call it the downhillers cross-country bike and he was like okay i'm getting one of those and he's like oh but how about a high tower and high towers the the next travel up it's a sort of 150 140 154 140 rear travel bike so he's he's basically oscillating between these two and his i suppose my my advice to him is do you want a bike that goes as fast as you do or do you want a bike that uh will will take on everything regardless of of your own sort of fear level because i i find that above about 130 mil travel it's it it's no longer the bike slowing me down it's actually me on the brakes I, occasionally i change my mind on that but uh but so so his his thing is do do i be i suppose appropriately biked for the, for the riding that he realistically is going to be doing you know poodles around the around the peak district or is he going to be potentially overbiked up traveled is he going to up travel to an overbike for those those times when he goes to a bike park or or whatever and uh, or he has a nasty moment of choosing a wrong line and yes. the bike will rescue him and you have to hang on and uh, and and survive and you know to be fair a lot of bikes these days will will sort of get you safely to the bottom if you have faith in them but there is a time when when you know six inches of travel 150 mil fork is is uh is is the the correct amount i i don't know what what do the uh, class think i will think if you if we only bought if we went out there and rationally and bear in mind that as human beings we are not rational if we went out rationally and only bought the bike that we needed for what we were going to do with it we would not be riding the bikes that we currently have we would uh they i mean six inches of travel is my default just for no, like you say, for no other reason than the fact that it's more. It's like getting an amplifier and getting it to go up to eleven, isn't it? I mean, how much in, you've got? You've got guitar amps there, chips. Yes. What's the highest power amp you've got? Uh, I have a, I have a hundred watt amp. Um, yeah. So... Now look at the size of the room that you're in. That's kind of ridiculous, <laughs> isn't it? And you probably put earplugs in was... when you use it as well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I I've found that you know I, you know, guitar playing is is my my thing I do for fun, and I've got far nicer guitars than friends of mine who are professional, uh, to world touring musicians, uh, because that's my hobby and mm. and that's their job. So they they're after a tool for the job, and I'm after something that makes me go, oh, that's nice. Let's do let's let's play that or let's ride that bike or whatever. Um, and the, and and that's the good thing about uh, bikes is you you can actually get the same exact same bike that your heroes do ride, and it doesn't need to be custom whittled mm. by someone in a shed. You can just buy these off off the shelf. I've got the same uh, electronic kick drum pedal as the guy in left field. <laughs> and for exactly that reason, there's no real requirement for me to have such a pedal, but I'm very glad I've got it. It's it's cool. It's the same with mountain biking. This is the point, isn't it? The point is that we're probably all overbiked, to be honest. 
most of us are overbiked, but it's because it's a hobby and that's the way that we are. It's not a rational thing to uh, get yourself on a bicycle and take yourself to the top of a hill and hurl yourself down it. That is very irrational, but uh, we do it. We do it and we spend an awful lot of money on it. It's kind of the argument, I think, roundabout that I had at that publisher's conference in the end. And I said, look, it's, you know, it's, it's just people spending a ridiculous amount of money on their hobby. But yes, yeah, so still there were still many blank faces when I told them that yes, I went riding on a. I've tested a bike that cost literally fourteen thousand pounds, and they were just dumbfounded by that. Well, uh, having done a bit of a roundup then of of stuff we've been up to and thinking about, let us let us segue to the fact that we have an actual website with new stories on it, um, and I would just draw people's attention to the news that uh, frame building in the UK has been classified as an endangered craft. Um, by so by whom? The Heritage Crafts Association. Ooh. Um, so, uh, yeah, there are all sorts of uh, things like uh, orreries, I think, <laughs> I can't even say it, people that make models of planets and solar systems. Um, are more endangered than uh, bike frame builders. And there are some crafts that are extinct in the UK. Um, so lots of the things that are on there are like people that make stuff for bows and arrows or whatever. Go on, Amanda. Tell me an extinct one. I want to know what one of the extinct oh, ones is. I'll have to look then one I up. I can get a monopoly in it if I'm <laughs> But then you'd have to learn it. So that's that's part of the thing of like, where why they're extinct um is that there isn't anyone with the skills in the uk and there's no um no teaching opportunity as well um so uh yeah they look at a variety of things the number of people that are earning a living um and then the number of people that know how to do it or are doing it as a sideline and then the number of training opportunities so um uh, let's see lacrosse stick making is extinct in the UK. Cricket wow. ball making is extinct in the UK. Really? Wow. Y- yeah. And, and uh, bell bell founding is is I was looking critically on the endangered. Link. Critically yeah. endangered because number of professionals in the UK is eleven to twenty, with one yeah. to five trainees. And current total number of serious amateur bell founders not known. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, gold beating, Amanda, you could probably do that one quite Ooh. well. That's making gold leaf. That's extinct as well. Um, that and sounds so... like you need quite a sum for starting up. <laughs> How do I get my gold? You get some old jewellery. Whack it. Yeah, I don't know. Um, so and one that is extinct this year that um, was critically endangered before is mouth blown sheet glass making which is like the um you know if you see ye olde victorian ye um window panes and they have a little sort of circle in them i think oh, that's yes. the ones that uh, have been made by i think this is right that so like you you make a flat sheet out of glass but you start with something round and you blow it um and yeah so that moved from critically endangered and one of the big issues there i was reading up on it has been that uh it's the cost of workshop space and that's been a common theme across lots of these crafts and that once you lose 
one part one craft others tend to fall with it um because they'll have lots of like small communities of inter inter interdependent craftspeople working on these things and the person that makes mouth blown glass uh flat planes may also be doing some other form of glass craft and when they can't afford the workshop space anymore both things fall by the wayside wouldn't so. it be nice then if given there's less demand for office space because lots of people worked out they can work from home if all the big cities gradually turned into craft like basically turned into hebden bridge but craft bigger. squatters yeah yeah because they often like oh, our offices have been sat empty like let's sell them as a workshop for the <laughs> glass blowers yeah. And, yeah. and so uh, so you could have, along with bicycle frame making, looking at the list here, new critically endangered crafts. You could have arrowsmithing, which is that fletching, uh, bow making, chain making, coppersmithing, encaustic tile making, hat block making, plume making, silk ribbon making. Uh, they're, they're all coming together, aren't they? Straw hat yeah. making. So silk ribbon on your straw hat on your hat block. Sussex trug making and whip making are new critically endangered for 2023 and bicycle frame making is merely endangered but obviously it's uh, uh yeah there aren't that many people earning a living from it along mm. with mechanical organ making silk weaving and corner so a, lot the, a lot of the list, things that are listed you can kind of see like yeah this is stuff that when we had knights of the round table running around we needed lots of and now we don't um but bicycle uh frame making feels like something that's still relevant today and so its inclusion on the list um seems particularly sad to me uh, I, I have some questions about how extensive and accurate the research is because there's a lot of frame makers that me and the forum have identified readers have identified that aren't on the list and uh, and there are clog makers that are down the road from me that are not on their list of clog makers. So I think there's certainly gaps in some of the um, the research that they've done. If there's like two crafts that I know something about and can identify missing people. In. Um, but yeah, I think it's, uh, it kind of falls into a interesting discussion about what does your economy do and where do you... Uh, place value and so that's on the website go to singletrackworld.com and look it up so mark have you got a story that caught your attention last week i haven't got a story that caught my attention in terms of catching my eye a product this week has caught my eye and it will be on the website it'll be in fresh goods friday on friday and and I, I, it's I've been doing this for 20 years now, and it's very rare that a product is actually now, cause, just because I'm old and cynical, um, actually catches my eye and I go, wow, this is actually, this is another level. And uh, it's a bike rack, of all things. We've got a new bike rack. It's a tow bar bike rack. It's, another, it's a new two-lay rack. Um, it just landed a few days ago. And I got to play with it and set it up yesterday, and it's actually blown my mind. It is just phenomenal. It's it's a tow bar mounted rack. It folds up to the size of probably a suitcase. It's got a handle on it. You can just lift it up. You can just drop it in your boot. There's still it doesn't fill your boot. 
Uh, you pop it out, you drop it on, and within about oh, literally five seconds, it's it's up and ready to go. And what's everything is built into it. So the electrics are on there, the number board, the the straps are all built in, and I just you can put a bike on it and literally strap it up in maybe about fifteen seconds, and and then go. And I've never experienced such a remarkably useful bike rack or easy to use bike rack as this in 20 odd years of, of attaching bicycles to cars um yeah it's 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 got me really excited it's just a bike rack but i'm really really excited about it do, okay. do you still have Adventures to scrabble away. around uh, sorry do you still have to scrabble around on the ground trying to get the the socket into your into the uh, accessory that, port that is probably the most fiddly bit and it's not that fiddly well, certainly not on 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 our car. It's it's but it, your your mileage may vary on on that depending on your car. But the 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 actual electric accessory plug on our car is really easy to get to. Ah. Uh, but uh, but yeah, that is probably the only fiddly bit. The putting your bike on, getting it on, fastening it up. And what what's amazing is the bike two. It's a two bike rack, so I guess that means that there's a bit more room. But both bikes can go on and they're just miles apart in terms of there's nothing there's no part of each of those bikes that's in contact with each other so there's no faffing around with bits of plumber's tubing on the bottom of your forks and things like this that you normally get and because they're literally you carry these two bikes and they, they're not in contact with each other it's just maybe, maybe that's another endangered art is the uh the tetris of trying to get three bikes and a three bike rack where the the arm has to go through the frame, past the rear shock of the middle bike, and then you've got to get on the. Yeah. Yes. Drop the seat sure. post of the middle one, but not all the way down, and yes. the one on the, the one on the inside, the seat post is about three quarters of the way up, and uh, one of the bikes has to have its handlebars turned just slightly. Yes. Yeah, there's none of that. It's great. So anyway, check out Fresh Goods Friday for the details on that. Obviously, it's going to... I've probably just given a bit of a review, but that's like a first-look review. We haven't actually been sort of out and about driving around with it, so that will come. There'll be another review, full review of that on the website, probably shortly after. But uh, that's what's caught my eye this week. Okay, Yolanda. Yeah? What's caught your eye? Or have you been head-deep in magazine stuff? I've been head-deep in magazine stuff. Tell us about that anyway. No! Oh. Wait, something did catch my eye. It's probably quite boring. I've got a soap pot with a lid that's got a sponge in it that stops the soap from staying wet. So when you're camping, this is boring. Isn't On it? singlepackworld.com <laughs> is supposed to be the point. <laughs> oh, it's yeah, but it's, it's going in fresh goods. No, no, yet. no. You, I was, I was shocked when you said a soap dish, but you've, you've, you've sold it to me now. Tell me more. How, what, it's what's going this in piece fresh of goods and it's going in many listicles of are you going bikepacking? Are you a van lifer? Do you, are you just a hygiene freak? Um, it's just a plastic soap pot and it's got this magic sponge in it that I don't know what it's made of, but you use your soap, you put it in the pot, you put the lid on and you can chuck it in your bag or your van or wherever. And next time you come to it, your soap is dry. You don't have soap which dribble I, or your sponge bag. Yeah, and also going in fresh goods is I won't give so much of this one away, but I've upgraded the van shower, Ooh. and it is less less than sixty pound for a shower that is absolutely brilliant. Like I was probably cleaner this weekend than I am at home because I was so excited to use it. I used it twice. 
Is it a black <laughs> plastic bin bag? Not telling. No. Oh. oh. I can't oh. say any more. It, wow. it will be on fresh goods. I don't think uh, anything caught my eye last week because my eyes were deep in the mag, which is now at the printers. Mm. Um, being printed. Right. So by the time people listen to this, they will have missed the opportunity to get the print mag uh, as part of their subscription. But they will be able to join us today and then get the digital version online and order a discounted copy of the print mag. Mm. Yes. Well, it does have a fantastic cover on it. I was going to say, the digital one, you get all the great content and then you could buy the print. Mm. So you've got a cover cover on your wall without a fold in it. It's it's yeah. definitely past the, my cover test, which is would I want to put it in a frame and hang it on the wall? And this one in particular is definitely definitely fulfills that criteria. Absolutely love this cover. Mm. It From looks like it's on a, on a Scottish beach or something, doesn't it? Mm. But it's yes. Mm. Oh, go on then, Chips. Have you seen anything on the site this week? Uh, I too have mostly been uh, staring at at magazine proofs. Um, so. Uh, apart from that, um, and I guess I should, you know, it's raining, which uh, we don't see very often here. So oh. I'm, uh, I've been delighting in that briefly. Well, I, I know that you noticed the demise of Too Pure this week because you also noticed the bargainous deals on uh, some Ibis bikes. Did you resist the urge to buy yourself an Ibis? Um, so far. But uh, having looked around the the internet, there are several places that that have um, bar- much bargain uh, ibis bikes. Rip- Ripmo AF, talking of over biking or up biking, up traveling, up traveling. There we go. Uh, uh, very tempted because there are some some bargains around there. So uh, you know, just to match the rest of the bikes in the in the shed, might have to. Although okay. how I how I get it here, I don't know. So. Um, well, maybe we'll put some of the links to some bargains that we spot into the story. So head to singletrackworld.com and you will find some links to that we've spotted. Yes. Don't go if you don't want to save lots of money on bikes. <laughs> okay. Well, at the end of this podcast, I think the meds have kicked in and the migraine wiggly lines have kind of gone now. So I should probably go and, and write some other words. And pound some coffee. Oh, no, no coffee. Or some gold leaf. Oh, yeah, make some gold leaf. <laughs> Training an extinct craft. Yes. Okay, well, thank you very much, everyone, for joining us this week. Um, and um, we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.